Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft, please take a moment right now to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hear streaming episodes on Spotify. To receive a bi-weekly email with new episode announcements, sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. You can also keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. To find out more about how you can help support our mission while getting access to bonus content, exclusive contests, and other extras, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. You're listening to a stripped-down version of I Drive Your Truck, a CMA and ACM Country Song of the Year winner that was co-written by our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Jesse Alexander. She'll join us in just a bit to chat about her dual career as a behind-the-scenes writer with hits by Miley Cyrus, Lee Bryce, Blake Shelton, and others, and as an engaging singer-songwriter whose latest album, Decatur County Red, is already generating serious critical buzz. Part one. So, Scott, here we are, episode two in the uh, sort of worldwide quarantine season. Yes. Songcraft lockdown version. <laughs> um, <laughs> how you feeling over there? Man, um, I think I'm more of an introvert than I than I thought I was. Uh, I am I am not hating life. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely miss restaurants. Right. Uh, I miss, of course, uh, seeing you for our, our songcraft recording sessions. Um, I I know, you you know, I miss, uh, miss getting together with friends, but, uh, you know, not having to drive, uh, to the office uh, every morning and then drive home every afternoon. That's pretty good. Uh, I haven't, I haven't worn pants in a pretty good while. Um, so laundry is really cut down. I was going to point out that one of the things that I'm kind of particularly thankful for during this time is that I don't have to abide by the rigorous uh, dress code standards that you usually put me through uh, when we get together. Uh, you're, you're kind of a, a tough, tough master in, in that realm. You're kind of always making me show up with a collared shirt on, um, my khaki pants pressed with right. a crease. Um, <laughs> it helps us feel professional, I know, but I, I'm, it's actually kind of nice for me to not have to deal with that. So I don't um, think I've actually seen you in anything but basketball shorts and like uh, a 25 year old T-shirt in in years. <laughs> uh, yeah, please don't don't let anybody know that. I think we we have done a good job of uh, sort of exhibiting an air of professionalism that if anyone right. actually saw me would be horribly upended. Um, <laughs> you know what what I've discovered uh, also during this time is everybody's kind of talking about being bored. And I am, I feel like I'm really busy and I was trying to yeah. figure out why. And, you know, I, I typically eat out a lot and now we're cooking, you know, <laughs> lunch and dinner at home every day. So yeah. all of my time is spent cooking and then cleaning dishes and then doing it all again, uh, which I guess this is how people live. This is kind of how people live. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. I can't imagine what it must have been like for you guys for a day or two to kind of figure out your stove and <laughs> which knobs do what. Um, how to light that, it. Thank God for the microwave that just has a popcorn button. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is new. I feel like I'm I'm 
I've had to, to like become just a, a regular like adult person, which is, yeah. uh, is interesting. Yeah. Well, so. and, and big changes of course, in everything that we're doing. I mean, we're, we're in different locations. We're, uh, you know, on the phone, but we're on pro tools. Um, even in this interview with, with Jesse coming up, it's just different uh, people in different places on different pro tool systems. Um, and it's, it's kind of, uh, we're kind of stepping it up with each episode, figuring out how to bring the, the best audio quality we can, um, with these, with these, um, episodes during coronavirus season. Um, and I, I I'm kind of digging what we're doing here. Um, um, yeah. it's, we're stopping just short of sending everybody the email. Songcraft is taking your safety seriously in the era <laughs> of COVID-19. You know, we're, we're not going to send you that one, but, um, you know, like Marriott and Chili's and Jiffy Lube <laughs> and whomever you've been receiving emails from, we have a COVID-19 policy here too, that, uh, we're just trying to, to continue to bring the best possible quality episodes that we can, you know, you know, week after week. Absolutely. I, I was, by the way, really relieved to get the uh, email update on how uh, the coronavirus is being dealt with by the company that I once bought a um, reflector for my truck, uh, for the fender <laughs> of the truck, uh, like yeah. six years ago. Yeah, I was really glad that I was able to get those uh, updates. <laughs> it's like it, you're suddenly reminded of everything you ever bought from from the yeah. last decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Free credit report is dealing with the COVID-19 crisis. How? How? <laughs> I'm not coming into your office. It's okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but it, it was cool that, you know, it's funny if people want to picture how these things are going down. You know, we're all sitting here talking on our cell phones, but talking into microphones, into, into Pro Tools at the same time. And um, when we talked to Jesse, of course... You know, we're just hearing her on the phone and fantastic conversation chatting with her. Um, but uh, then when she sent the actual um, her side of of the conversation, there was a moment that I didn't detect from the phone call alone where I could tell that a, a small child and possibly a dog uh, <laughs> had made their way into the room and I could hear her snapping, uh, you know, as if uh, as if to tell the child and the dog, like, I can't say this out loud, but you're in big trouble. You need like to get out of the room. Snapping her fingers, not snapping yeah. in terms of the way like a, a parent would snap at a child, but like right right snapping snapping her fingers kind of the 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 mom sign of like hey you better shape up and get out of here yes. and then you could kind of hear uh her husband come <laughs> in and, and corral you know so we she all snapping the him. same <laughs> right maybe she, she was snapping like for house. him that's like the get these people yeah. out of here yeah totally <laughs> So, uh, you know, even even these great accomplished songwriters are facing the same work from home uh, <laughs> struggles that that we all are. So I thought that yeah. was uh, pretty funny. <laughs> well, you know who I've been in touch with uh, lately is our friend Justin from Pearl Snap. Um, and he was he was actually talking to me about how much of his child's Easter candy that he consumed uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, but but I know he's hard at work uh, over there, uh, you know, despite all that's going on. Uh, Coronavirus has not slowed down the work at Pearl Snap Studios one bit. Yeah, that's true. And and also a lot of people who are stuck at home who are songwriters are finding uh, maybe that commute time that they, they don't have devoted to, um, you know, to getting to and from work. Now they've got some extra space on the calendar. They got more time at home. Uh, maybe they just are looking to grab their uh, guitar and go hide from their roommates or family in another room for a little <laughs> while. And uh, I think there's like, uh, you know, th there kind of has been this joke of like, there's going to be this big baby boom from the right. coronavirus thing. There's probably going to be like a, a huge boom in new songs as well, because yep. uh, people 
will have the space, I think, to to be creative. Um, and so for those of our listeners who maybe are writing, um, maybe are, are working on their their song craft, to, to use a phrase, um, would be interested in, in taking this opportunity to send some stuff to Justin at pearlsnapstudios.com um, and, uh, and finally dip the toe in the water of, uh, of getting a professional demo made of one of their original songs. Yep, and the good thing about this song boom that, that you just described is that, you know, if, if you create a song during this time versus, say, creating a, you know, child, uh, you'll never have to teach that song how to drive. Um, <laughs> you'll never have to pay for that song to go to college. Um, that's true. in fact, if you really crush it, that song may pay for, for your kid to go to college. So, um, that's a good you know, point. This is and, and you'll, something you'll never to have do. to, sn- you'll never have to snap your fingers at that song when it comes in, uh, <laughs> and interrupts your, uh, your interview as well, which is, which is nice. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> songs, songs are generally well behaved. <laughs> well, I don't know. That's debatable. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, the, the ones I've written ha- have been generally well behaved, but I've written some that I wish I could put in a timeout. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all have the stinkers. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we have, before we jump into this interview with, with, uh, the very talented and, uh, and very fun Jesse Alexander, um, just want to remind folks, we've got a contest going. Um, we've got a couple books we're giving away. One is called the ultimate book of songwriting by Al Kasha, who's been a guest on the show before. And then we also have, um, Lamont Dozier's book, how sweet it is, which is all about his experiences, uh, at Motown with a lot of practical songwriting advice and, uh, um, another, uh, cool book. If I do say so myself, I did co-write it with him, but, uh, you know, he's a, yeah, sure. a great guy with a great story, great thoughts. So it was cool to be able to help him put all that together. Um, so we're giving those books away. And what we had asked people to do was to go to our website at songcraftshow.com and send us a message and tell us why you desperately need these books that will help you write better songs. All of this started because we had a, a listener who wrote in and asked us if we had book recommendations and, um, we kind of crowdsourced that on the last episode and asked people to share their uh, their thoughts, and we listed out some books that that some other listeners had had shared with us, and then decided to do this giveaway. Um, so if you go to our website and contact us down at the bottom of the page uh, through the contact form, tell us why you need these books. And you can send an MP3 if you want of uh, a horrible song. You can take some. Yeah, has some anybody lyrics. done that yet? Has anybody yeah, turned in a bad song yet? We've got nobody sent me an MP3 yet, but we've gotten quite a few bad lyrics and some pretty funny um, essays. I guess you'd call them about why <laughs> folks need uh, these books. So it's very entertaining to to be reading through this stuff. So uh, if uh, if somebody wants to. Um, submit uh, something and then we will decide whichever one makes us laugh the most or which we think is just absolutely the worst song I've ever seen then you will win and uh, yeah. we will mail these to you when I feel like it's safe to go to the post office which will be sometime <laughs> between April and 2022 um, yes <laughs> but uh, yeah but it, it's it's this is I think this is the most fun uh, contest for me just reading what people are writing so uh, definitely go to songcraftshow.com and send that in and uh hope you guys are all just staying safe and uh and healthy and following the rules and we will eventually reemerge into our uh world that we once knew. Yep. And you know, for you guys as far as our podcast goes, uh nothing will change. Um except for the fact that you'll actually know that I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> we hope. Part 2. 
Jesse Alexander first hit the Billboard charts as a recording artist for Columbia Records before going on to write hit singles such as The Climb for Miley Cyrus, Drink On It, Turnin' Me On, and Mine Would Be You for Blake Shelton, and I Drive Your Truck for Lee Bryce. The latter two songs were both nominated for the Best Country Song Grammy in the same year, with I Drive Your Truck also winning Song of the Year at both the CMA and ACM Awards. Other artists who've recorded Jesse's songs include Patti Loveless, Trisha Yearwood with Kelly Clarkson, Little Big Town, Brothers Osborne, Jason Aldean, Dirks Bentley, Thomas Rhett, Cassidy Pope, Tim McGraw, Darius Rucker, Miranda Lambert, Celine Dion, Morgan Wallen, and Cole Swindell. As an artist, Jesse has recorded three albums. The latest, Decatur County Red, was recently released to rave reviews. Jesse, welcome to Songcraft. Hi. It's uh man, we're we're living in crazy times. I feel like we're we're doing a, a little mini series on the show right now that we're gonna look back on at some point and refer to as our coronavirus era. You know, everybody is <laughs> is hunkered down and, and kind of dealing with this new reality. And, you know, you've got a, a brand new album. You're, you're first in six years. Um, you were just about to go on the road uh, opening for Sheryl Crow, I believe, which sounds amazing. Um, but now mm-hmm. everything has changed. <laughs> we're all at home. How are you kind of dealing with the unexpected wrench in the plans here? Wow. I would have never <laughs> in a million years dreamed, you know, that, you know, after all that, should I put out a record? Should I not? Should I finish this song? I don't know. All the, you know, self, like, conversation doubts and all the things that you go through and you're a songwriter that wants to step out and make an album. But I would have never dreamed, you know, that it would happen to just fall right in those weeks, you know, <laughs> of the corona, you know, when it really started getting going. So, it's it's been weird um it's such a surreal time for everyone but then when you're in a point where you feel like you want to self-promote because you've worked so hard you know i've made this record i want to promote it um so but it's been hard for me because you know i don't there's so much bigger things going on in the world but then again i feel like people need music so i think it's we're all just kind of torn about how we feel absolutely um well, your new record is called Decatur County Red, which I believe that's a, a reference to where you were raised. So um, tell us a little bit about that song and a bit about how you grew up. I was born in Jackson, Tennessee, and all of my family's in, in that area. And uh, there's a little river cabin, real small, 800-square-foot river cabin that I grew up in where, you know, just to paint a picture, um, small county, you know, no Walmart, no Dollar General, no McDonald's, nothing like that. Um, it's a river county it, right there on the Tennessee River. Um, I was an only child, so I spent a lot of time with my dad. My parents were divorced, so when I was with him at the river, you know, he he didn't know how to, to you know, raise a little girl. So <laughs> I was raised to be his sidekick, um, and I learned how to you know, run a trot line. I learned how to shoot, um, cans off a stump. I learned how to, um, you know, walk in the woods. I learned, I mean, just very rural kind of backwoods stuff. Um, but more the way that me and him could really connect was music. Hmm. Um, that was kind of our, uh, father daughter, communion if you will huh. at the end of the day he'd drink beer and we'd listen to his stack of vinyl records and uh-huh. 
those records just, you know, it spans everything from his 60s, you know, hippie. He was kind of a country hippie kind of guy. He listened to everything from the, the you know, Led Zeppelin, Janis Joplin, those types, of the band, people like that, all the way to um, Nashville, you know, George Jones, Willie Nelson, um, and being right in the middle of Memphis and, and Nashville, I really, if you hear this record and you kind of know me, it's like I'm either pulled in one direction or the other. I'm either pulled hmm. to like Delta Blues, Memphis, Soul, or I'm pulled to Nashville Craftsman, you know, Chris Christopherson, Bobby Braddock, the song, those type songwriters. So I just had this, Decatur County kind of represents the middle and that little town and that little cabin and um, that that song really is my childhood, word for word. It's probably the most personal song I've ever written. Hmm. And it's kind of a tip of the hat to the blue collar, uh, rural kind of people, the the flavors, the taste, the the visuals, the sounds, the every, you know what I mean? I wanted to paint the whole picture. Right. And opening up with the line, we had a rebel flag for a curtain and a crate for a TV stand. And the night they drove old Dixie down was the truth for my old man. That, I mean... That's it. That, yeah. that whole line really is Decatur County, you know. As you got a little older, what's some of the stuff that caught your attention that maybe didn't come from your dad's collection, but stuff that you kind of discovered and could call your own and, and maybe made you think, you know, I might like to actually do this? Yeah, I look back at, um, I have an 11-year-old um, right now, and I was thinking about her and myself at that age. And I think the difference was like most kids, you know, hear music, their their parents' music, and they, you know, go on to find their own, whether it be on pop radio or, you know, any kind of, through their friendships. For me, I was um, just this ravenous. I guess I didn't, you know, I didn't have any other, I wasn't athletic. I didn't have any siblings. I had no other distractions. We had two channels on the TV. I mean, Music became an obsession by her age, my daughter's age, 11. I had already gone way beyond Patsy Cline and found Bob Wills. And Bob Wills sent me to, you know, Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson sent me to Harlan Howard, Hank Cochran. Like, by her age, I was, you know, way entrenched in country music. And not just that, but like... um, soul music so to answer your question uh, you know i heard my dad listen to say marvin gay but through marvin gay i found bill withers on my own and bill withers i found donny hathaway and it just my musical education was just you know it's just i was ravenous and i just couldn't get enough so i'm still like that you know i still hear something and it leads me down a rabbit hole (laughs) of music And how did you first get into writing songs of your own? It's funny. My, the way songwriting came to me was uh, my grandparents got a piano for me, probably around eight or nine. And with that, they bought one of those kind of cheesy, like, top 20 country songs of all time, you mm. know, how to sheet music. Yeah. But um, I couldn't read music at all and, and still can't. But I had a pretty strong ear you know, at a young age, I could pick out, you know, Love Me Tender or things like that. But in that book was um, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. I believe it was that one, or it was one of the Hank Williams Sr. songs who who I was very early obsessed with, his songwriting. He's probably my first real writer obsession, songwriter Mm -hmm. obsession. Um, But I would rewrite 
his songs or other songs. That's I didn't write my own songs at first. I was I would take their templates, like their melodies, and I probably did that because I was so young and I didn't know what some of those words even meant. Yeah, you know, huh. yeah, or even <laughs> those terms. Like I was listening to complete adult music. I did not grow up in the church. I had no. You know, a lot of people learn to sing or write songs through their church. Mm-hmm. That's their first stage moment. You know, I had nothing like that. I had the de- you know, beer joints my dad would take me to, or I would sit around and just play piano and try to, to try to sing other people's songs, but I was making them my own at a young age. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you say you didn't grow up in the church because uh, one of the earliest cuts of yours as a songwriter that I could find, maybe it's the earliest, um, was the gospel flavored Till I Turn to You, which was co-written with Gary Nicholson and recorded by mm. Kathy Matea. Till I turn to you. It was that actually your first cut? I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. I really think it was. So, talk about how you found your way to Nashville and started out as a professional songwriter, and and started having the opportunity to have other people record your songs. I um, was one of those freak kids that had a million jobs. You know, I worked at Subway. I worked at the car auction. I worked at, I mean, just Sears. I mean, whatever. I was just tired, tired, tired. If I could just make a living making music. So really when I moved to Nashville, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I want to be, you know, songwriter of the year, or I want to be a superstar or, you know, it, it, I, my goal literally was just to get out of kind of the grind that I'd been in. So I moved here, um, and I went to a Reba McIntyre audition. She was looking for a backup singer, and I, I had already kind of sang harmony in a lot of bands that I'd been in. So I went to the audition, but she they wanted someone that could dance as well, <laughs> and I'm not a dancer. But I met an artist that was looking for a backup singer, and he hired me. And two days later, I'm on a bus to Beaumont, I'm playing the Grand Ole Opry. I mean, like everything went haywire. And all of a sudden, my dream was coming true. I was a backup singer. But what's so fascinating about my story is it sounds like such a Cinderella story. Oh, you moved to Nashville and you get a job three days later. But that was like my first real taste of, oh, like as fast as you can rise, you can fall. Hmm. Because that artist got dropped. Wow. I was back to square, you know, square one pretty quick. Yeah, back to the start. Yeah, so I was running around with a lot of songwriters early. You know, I was enamored with songwriters and some of the legendary songwriters, um, way older than me, you know, 20 years older than me, 30 years older than me. I was drawn to people like John Scott Sherrill. He had songs by John Anderson. I had loved uh, Daryl Scott. And I loved Gary Nicholson. I loved um, Bill Anderson. I mean, just so many of the kind of at that time they were at their peak of songwriting. So I was just studying them. I'd go to the bluebird and watch them. Um, like same way I treated everything. I was just like kind of a ravenous, you know, encyclopedic type 
student of people. I just couldn't get enough. And I just started to try to work my way into whatever room I could get into. Hmm. Um, a lot of those early days, you know, I was just writing with anybody that would write with me, but I also tried to write alone quite a lot. I used to write actually a lot of hundred percenters. Um, and through that, you know, Warner brothers or Warner chapel rather heard my songs and signed me to my first publishing deal. And that was literally 20 years ago. Hmm. We're celebrating this year. So, um, I think they probably heard my voice and thought, oh, she'll, she could be an artist as well. You know, yeah. looking back, my songs weren't that great, <laughs> but they probably, you know, saw me as an artist. And even though I was, I was real, you know, haphazard, I did not have the like focus as an artist. I didn't come here going, I want to be, you know, Martina McBride. Um, so through that time of writing, early writing, uh, I could, I could feel them pushing me, pulling me to being an artist, huh. which inevitably yeah. happened. Well, yeah, it's interesting because your first charting single as a songwriter was also your first charting single as an artist when Honeysuckle Sweet hit the Billboard country chart in mm-hmm. 2004. There's a back road in my mind taking me back here every time and it's all mine. I'm very curious about um, you saying that you had not necessarily thought of yourself as an artist um, because a lot of people's story is they came to Nashville to become an artist and wound up becoming a songwriter. It sounds like songwriting was always kind of uh, first for you in in your mind and and that the artist thing was was not really something that you had strategized or or planned for. Um, Once you did get that, artist deal and and you kind of experience the ups and downs of of trying to start out your career as a as a recording artist what did you kind of take away from that whole experience that ultimately kind of shaped who you are as a songwriter oh my goodness so much like uh, what a gift um that little period was as much as i there's years i've cussed those years, you know, I've cussed, why did I have to do that? I'd be so much further as a songwriter if I hadn't dilly dallied and song and being an artist, you know, I, I fought that and hated myself for even doing that. There were years that I was like, why did I do that? But now writing with artists, writing for artists, understanding what artists needs. I mean, what a, um, it really is kind of a tool that I have in my belt that, a lot of songwriters don't have, Yeah, you know, I understand, I understand when a songwriter, I'm sorry, when an artist says, you know, it just doesn't resonate for me anymore. Sorry. Hmm. I've had it on hold for six months. It doesn't (laughs) fit the record. Yeah. Like, yes, that's crushing to hear, but as having been an artist and having made records, I know, I know how that feels. I know how the end of the day, you've got 13 songs and you, there's that one that you're like, it's just not fitting. And we really only need 12 on this record. So Hmm. I think I have that insight. I also have been on stage my whole life in some form or fashion. And being a singer, songwriter, songwriter, singer, however you want to say it, I get it. I know what Blake needs when he goes out there and sings for a stadium of people. 
um, I understand melody in a way I think that, that some writers might not, uh, understand, you know, and that's been a huge asset, I yeah. think. Well, you were very much a working songwriter in Nashville for years, getting cuts here and there with artists like Trisha Yearwood, Little Big Town, and even a Patti Loveless single. But your big breakthrough as a writer finally came in 2009, not on the country chart, but with a quadruple platinum top five single, The Climb, that was recorded by Miley Cyrus. There's always gonna be another mountain. I'm always gonna I mean, you really cannot make this stuff up. Um, I'd like to paint a little picture, though, about where I was at when this was written. I mean, maybe one of the lowest points in my life in the sense of, so, you know, my artist deal, not only is have we merged, the people that I was signed with merged, you know, a couple times, and I wound up uh, in a company that, you know, was going to drop me and did drop me the same time my mom had ovarian cancer and mm. I'm as like I've mentioned my only child so I was her caregiver kind of going through the darkest period of you know grief and wow. then you know losing her um I've met my husband though he's having huge success he just written a song called Whiskey Lullaby oh, yeah. his name's John Randall um and you know we're thinking about you know we've moved in together we're thinking about getting married I'm at a low. I mean, not only have I lost my biggest cheerleader, my mom, I'm lost my record deal, lost my publishing deal. I'm just, I'm looking at him going, well, I mean, maybe you're supposed to do this and I'm supposed to marry you and have kids, you know, like my uh, small town roots and uh, okay, I can do that. And I can always sing. I can sing, you know, to our kids or something. (laughs) So just to give you that headspace. Um, when I was going in to write those days that are, the climb was written, I was not even thinking anymore about, you know, big success. I'm just like, I'm just trying to figure out what my next move is going to be. And so now when you listen to the song, the climb, I, I think you hear it different. You know, you can hear all my self doubt. Um, I wrote it with a guy named John Mabe, who's an incredible guy. He, he was an underdog as well. He'd only been writing songs for a year and a half. Um, I was driving in my car that morning going into write, and I had this song melody come to my head. People always ask, did you know, you know, no, I'd written hundreds of songs by this point and I didn't still hadn't had a hit. It'd been nine or almost 10 years. So oh, yeah. I, I, I did not think anything different, but when we finished it, by the way, he sang it, it was a guy's song. It was called it's the climb. It was more spiritual type song and um we put it in all the other songs i didn't think anything else about it yeah so you can imagine when uh you know miley cyrus and the hannah montana movie people tell us that if we could rewrite it and um you know it would be this they were going to rewrite the script around the song i remember thinking oh aren't they cute they don't realize how it works around here you know (laughs) girls like me don't get things like that and um Someone in LA is going to write the song, you know, Yeah. but sure enough, like it just kept happening. And I ran into Miley, the BMI awards that year. And 
I was pregnant with our daughter and she was like, you're just not going to believe it. We're going to go to five formats. And I thought, isn't she cute? She doesn't realize this doesn't happen to girls like me. (laughs) But it did. And it was just this most surreal. There I am delivering my daughter January 22nd while the climb was being sung on the the inauguration of President Obama by Miley. It was just, uh, you can't make it up. It's just the most bizarre, amazing thing. That's incredible. Now, speaking of emotional highs and lows, I understand that that song received a uh, Grammy nomination, but then uh, not so much. What, what happened there? Yeah, exactly. The, that song was was full of that kind of stuff. Um, Grammys weren't on my radar, I'll be honest. You know, I just I had a newborn. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was, you know, so um, I wasn't even thinking about it, but I start getting phone calls and from people saying you got nominated for a Grammy best song in a movie. And I mean, I'm like, what flowers started showing up for my lawyer, for my publishing company. Um, and for a full 24 hours, I believed that I had a Grammy nomination. Um, sadly, the next day I get a phone call saying basically they were pulling the nomination because it was not written for the movie. And we we went back and forth, and it was, you know, not fun about what that really means. Yeah. Um, and it, it was it was hard. It's a just it's a it's a gray area. Yeah. It's a really hard. Who's to say? You know that I'm. Anytime I've written songs for movies, I've had two songs in the last two Angry Birds movies. You know that both of those songs were written for Angry Birds, um, but. You just don't know as songwriters, what if the song had already been kind of written, but you reworked it for yeah. a movie? I mean, there's just, it, it It was tough. It was kind of my first kind of hard blow when it comes to songwriting huh. and, yeah, um, you know, <laughs> it all worked out, um, but it was tough. Yeah. It was huh. tough. Well... After that massive pop success with Miley Cyrus, you had your first top 40 country single in 2011 with Reba's recording of When Love Gets a Hold of You, which you co-wrote with Gary Nicholson and your husband, whom you mentioned, John Randall. Um, And you and John have written a lot of songs together, including Mama Drank, which is the the lead single from your new album. Clean, clean, clean the kitchen. Talk about the dynamic of writing with someone that you also share a personal relationship with. Yeah, that's a great question. I am so fortunate to live with not only like, you know, one of the best guitar players in the world, um, an incredible producer, um, and then just a real deal songwriter. Um, I respect his songwriting craft so much. And what's cool is that we're real different songwriters. We come a we come about it um, very different, but we both have similar uh, goals, I guess you could say. Like we both know what we want the end game to be of the song, but we get there real different. I and I just so enjoy writing with him. It's hard though with three kids 
to write. We used to write a lot. Um, we had a number one song with Blake, Blake Shelton called Drink On It. That was fun to get to have with him. But for this record, um, it was really neat. The process changed on us, which we'd never done it like this. And basically what it was, was I would write as much of the song as I possibly could. For example, Decatur County Red, because we've talked about that. I wrote as much of that as I could. And basically it's like, okay, uncle, I give, like, (laughs) please come help me now. And we would do it in the middle of the night. I mean, we literally put the kids to bed and stay up, drink wine and try to finish these songs. Or uh, there's a song on the record called um, My Problem Is You, where the kids um, were running around, the electricity went out, we didn't have any thing to watch or do. And so we were like, what should we do? I was like, let's write a song. Um, and so I've had an old melody, like a full, the whole melody was already written. And I was like, we help me write some lyrics. So it, it's just like, he's, he's just my wingman. You know, he's, he's there. The, the unfortunate part is we just don't get to do it very yeah. often. We don't get to co-write a lot, but we sure do enjoy it when we do. Well, you referenced it a moment ago, but I'd love to hear more about Drink on It, which you and John teamed up with uh, Rodney Clawson to write for Blake Shelton. Uh, that one, of course, became a huge number one hit in 2012. Let me buy another round, girl. I thank you, and I should just drink on it. Put our heads together and think on it. Maybe later on we can sleep on it. You know, I kind of going through the journey here with you. I'm, I'm hoping that anybody that's listening that's a songwriter that maybe has felt, you know, underappreciated or the hard knocks of the road of it. And I uh, just hope that, you know, this just hopefully my story gives people hope that even when you're, you know, kicked down, you know, there's still a chance to come back. Hmm. And that's kind of where I was after the climb. You'd think wow, Jesse got to be high on, you know, on cloud nine. And I was, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, we went way beyond my wildest dreams, but it also kind of skewed a little bit my vision of a songwriter. I mean, who'd have thought a country songwriter, you know, I don't even listen to pop radio. I didn't know anything about the franchise, Hannah Montana. And I get this huge reward <laughs> as a pop, you know, as pop song, basically. So I was spending a time in L.A. thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't have been writing country all this time. I mean, maybe I should have been doing film and television. Maybe I should have been doing pop music. And I chased that for for a minute and got real lost. And in the meantime, in country, things were changing dramatically. The females were dwindling. There was just no females huh. artists to write songs for. Right. Yeah. And I'm starting to see the writing on the wall. I've got twins coming by this point i'm thinking i've got to write songs that get cut and the only way i can do that is write for men so drink on it comes in with 20 i think it was 2010 i was like you know what i'm only writing men's songs i'm not singing anymore and you can imagine those co-writes those early days people are like wait a minute you're here and you're the singer and you're telling me you're not gonna sing i'm like nope I'm writing lyrics. I'm going to help you with the melody, but you're singing. I made the guys in the room sing. And that was one of the first songs of that new perspective. And it was a 
guy title I had, I'd had for years drink on it. I, I thought it was going to be more like a barroom philosophy, a bunch of guys sitting around talking and drinking and some guy saying, well, I don't know what to do about it. And some other guy saying, I don't know, let's just drink on it before you do anything. Let's drink on it. You know, one yeah. of those type songs. But I remember Rodney Clausen, he heard it and he was like, what about drink on it? Like, let's sleep on it, huh. you know? And it's like a sexy song. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And, um, I knew um, that that was when I started doing that, writing songs for men, it all clicked for me. Huh. And as much as I love writing for women and still want to do it, there is something weird for me about um, writing for men. It's a perspective that I can easily go into. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Well, the following year, you landed another number one with Blake Shelton's recording of Mine Would Be You, um, which you also recorded on your 2014 album, Down Home. What's your all-time high, you're good as it gets? Your hands down, best ever makeup sex. What's your guilty pleasure? go to well if you ask me mine would be you and there's always something so powerful about hearing a writer perform their own song in a stripped down setting um now particularly given that you um you know are at this point kind of writing more with with men in mind are you pretty chill about letting other artists just kind of take it and run with it and put their own spin on your material? Or do you get kind of freaked out when people change arrangements or the final record maybe comes out differently that then, you know, what might've been in your head when you were in the writer room? Like how is that whole process of letting go for you as a songwriter? Yeah, I think most Nashville um, kind of staff writers like I am would say, man, we're lucky to get any cut and we're happy when anybody cuts our songs. And I definitely admit that, you know, <laughs> there's been things changed, lines changed. We were like, oh man, I think it was better <laughs> the way we wrote it. But I also, this comes, this kind of comes full circle back to the original question. It's like, I've been an artist and I know these people got to stand on stage and sing it like they mean it. And if they want to say it's a blue Chevy truck instead of a red Chevy truck, like I'm okay with that. <laughs> You know, uh, speaking of mine would be you, you pulled off something that few writers are able to achieve when you got nominated for not one, but two Grammy nominations for Best Country Song in the same year for Mine Would Be You and I Drive Your Truck, which was a number one hit for Lee Bryce that earned you Song of the Year awards from both the ACM and CMA. You know, few country songwriters hit on that kind of success. Talk about how that song came together and what the experience was like to finally enjoy that kind of ride after years in Nashville? Oh my goodness. It was um, just such a surreal moment in my career. Um, I felt rewarded for kind of what I was saying, this, you know, the struggle of who am I? Right. What kind of songwriter am I? What, what kind of contribution am I supposed to make to country music? Right. And to be rewarded for those type songs, that's everything to me because, you know, I write from a real deep, vulnerable place. A lot of my songs come from my own personal loss or struggle or heartbreak. So it felt like a little like tap on the, you know, pat on the back, if you will. Um, 
but especially I drive your truck, you know, bringing it back to my mom, you know, that was a grief and a loss that I felt for years that I wanted to write about, but I never had the opportunity. I just didn't feel like the right song idea had come up and it was so personal um, and so close to me that I think I was having trouble putting it into words. But when Connie Harrington brought me the idea, I just literally got cold chills because I was like, this is it. This is my chance to pour that into a song. And she had heard the idea on NPR special the day before, which was Memorial Day. And she just caught the middle of it, of this interview. And a interviewer asked a father um, who had lost his son in Afghanistan. He said, what are you going to do today to honor your son? And he said, I don't know, man. I guess I'm just going to go drive his truck. Hmm. And Connie just you know, such a great songwriter. She, she, she didn't really have much. She just had that concept. And it just, like I said, it hit me. Like I had lived that so much and I just knew that I could go there. And we did, we spent that whole first day, like kind of painting the scene of the truck, you know, the 89 cents in the ashtray and the stickers on the back and just all the stuff. Um, but this is when, like I said earlier, you know, I was adamant about writing men's songs. So this was a huge decision and that, you know, the song could have been a whole different song if she hadn't trusted me. I said, I know you want me to sing it and I know I hear a melody for the song, but I do not want to touch that guitar until we get a guy in here. Hmm. And, um, she trusted me. We called in the great Jimmy Urey. And he just absolutely crushed it and brought that masculinity that we needed. Um, and when we finished that song, I knew, I don't, I don't know if it was song of the year. I, I didn't, I couldn't even really dream that big for me as a songwriter. It was like, yep, we nailed it. And that's <laughs> always my goal is like, did I, I don't want to know if I hit the bone. I want to know I went to the marrow of wow. it. I want to get all the way to the idea. Um, and if I can do that, then I feel like I've got something that I'm proud of. And Mom, I asked me this morning if I'd been by your grave. But that flag and stone ain't where I feel you anyway. I drive your truck. This might seem like a weird question, but you know, when, when someone is working away as a writer for years and years and years, writing hundreds of songs before getting to that wave of success, once those hits do start coming, is there any fear of like, man, I have, I have kind of burned through my idea book here. I've been writing songs for all these years. How do you keep refreshing the well when you've been at it for so 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 long but only started having that real kind of you know hit kind of success for a for a shorter period of time which is the time when everyone suddenly wants to all be writing with you and everyone's wanting more and more from you um that is probably one of the hardest parts of my craft uh, and i think a lot of it's because having three kids and 
you know, I used to get my song ideas from like drinking with my friends at a bar or reading books and watching movies and things like that, that are just, it's just harder to come by that time, um, anymore. So I lean heavily on co-writing and my co-writers and, um, more than I I wish I did, you know, I wish I had more ideas and I definitely for this album, I, um, you know, they're, they're songs I wrote by myself and and most all the songs are songs that I kind of, they were cultivated from me, but it is, it is really hard to stay like fresh. Um, especially when you're someone like me that wants to write to the caliber (laughs) of songs that I want to strive for, you know, I mean, I want, I'm not saying every day has to be, I drive your truck, but I definitely would like to dig deep. And, um, I fluffy songs, you know, I just, I, they don't interest me as much. I'd rather write less and write more meaningful, not even meaning dark, you know, it can be fun and still hit the bullseye for me. So, um, I think just co like co-writing a lot, trying to listen to other music and just try to show up every day. I do think that people would be shocked at when they're like, how do you write a song every single day? I think that when you write the way we do in Nashville, which is such a blue collar type, you know, Monday through Friday gig, like you just get good at it. You just get good at writing every day. You show up. And I think uh, Harlan Howard said, you know, you keep the pencil sharpened. And that's kind of how I feel. Even when I walk into an appointment, I think I have nothing. I don't even know what we're going to write. Yeah. But inevitably, somehow a song gets written. I was talking the other day with somebody about this Nashville songwriting thing that's that's so unique and kind of what you described. And it's like, you know, when you came to town, you start writing with, you know, the Gary Nicholsons of the world. And what you bring to the table is you're like young and fresh and full of ideas. And what he brings to the table is he's got the craft. He just he can take an idea. He knows what to do with it. And there's almost kind of like this. Um, apprenticeship model that regenerates itself in Nashville where like younger writers come in full of ideas and more seasoned writers teach them the real craft and how to shape that stuff. And it's like, as you move up the ranks, then you kind of transition to the person who has the craft and the instincts and knows how to shape anything and start writing with like the next round of writers. that's like coming up through the ranks. It's like the it's like this educational system almost that keeps replenishing itself. I think that's a really unique to Nashville uh, kind of thing. And I think you'd be so surprised. People would be surprised to know how much we revere each other and how much we root for each other. And like truly there's like such a community. And so the word community is almost not even enough. It's like family. Um, We go through graduations and, births and deaths and uh, breakups and all these things together. Um, You know, there's a lot of giving back, like the writer, you know, people like Ben Montench and Gary Nicholson and Allie Anderson and all those people that taught me, you know, it trickled down to me. And then I feel like I have to kind of give back, which I, um, and there's so many great writers showing up every day. Um, So it's, it is, it's very cool how it kind of trickles down and, Hopefully, I hope that Nashville will keep that spirit alive. Huh. 
Well, you continued to have cuts with a range of artists from Celine Dion to Tricia Yearwood with Kelly Clarkson. Um, but I want to ask you about the four songs you contributed to Ashley Monroe's 2015 album, The Blade, which was named among the best albums of the year by All Music, NPR, Pop Matters, Rolling Stone, Time, and many others. That was such a great record. Um, tell us about the writing process for that project. Absolutely. Um, man, I love Ashley Monroe. I've known her since she was 15 years old and she's always been an incredible songwriter. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the record that we wrote two songs with Chris Stapleton. Is that, am I correct on that? I know I've, I've yeah. had songs on two of her albums. Yeah. Winning um, streak, oh, uh, I think winning and, streak. Uh, if the devil don't want me. Yes. Oh my goodness. So back then, Chris Stapleton was just an, just a buddy of ours that um, we all knew how incredible he was. We knew that the world needed to hear him, but he was just a songwriter, just like the rest of us. And me and his wife, Morgan Stapleton, got to be really good friends through the, our births of our first children. And um, so yeah, that day, it's funny to think about now, but me and Chris were just trying to get an Ashley Monroe cut. <laughs> um, she's a really good friend of mine, and uh, we just came in writing writing those songs. Um, but yeah, that was so fun just to get to write with her because she'll say or write anything. And that's my favorite kind of co-writes, especially artists, is when you don't have the parameters and worried about this and worried about that. I mean, it's... You, basically get to paint with any color you want. And so I feel like those songs really represent that. You know, writing with with an artist, I'm sure, is a different experience. Um, and, and after writing songs with other writers that Blake Shelton recorded, you then found success writing with Blake himself, including Save Your Shadow, which hit both the country and Christian charts in 2016, and Turning Me On, which was a, a top 10 country single for Blake in about the difference between writing songs to pitch to an artist versus writing songs with the artist themselves? Yeah, that's it's um, frustrating because there's positives and negatives to both. So writing, let's say, for Blake, um, and he's, he's kind of a hard one to give the example, um, let's say, because I know him so well, but Tim McGraw. Um, it's hard because sometimes you're like, when you're writing a song for Tim McGraw, you're like, God, I wish he was just here. And he could tell us, like, are we going down the right path or not? Really ask them, I mean, what do you, well, is this true to you? Did you grow up this way? Is this the color truck that you drove? Is this the kind of, you know, is she, is it okay if she's blonde or brunette? I mean, that sounds stupid, <laughs> but those details that we do as songwriters, I mean, we're just making stuff up and we don't know. We're praying that an artist is going to, it's going to resonate with them, but we don't know. So writing with an artist like Dirk Bentley, Miranda Lambert, people like that, that I've written with, I mean, you're, they're there. I mean, we you can literally ask them, you know, and, and just get to really dive into the artist's head. Um, I do love though, 
the Nashville kind of 16th Avenue style, though, of co-writing without the artist as well, because there's a little less pressure. Um, we can really get our hands dirty. We don't feel like we're, you know, a lot of times artists have places to go, things to do. Um, now making this record, it's helped me even understand even more what all artists have to do these days with social media. It's just incredible, their workload. So, you know, you feel like that little timer on the, on the songwriting process. So having yeah. them out of the room also can make us kind of relax. I think it's hard to say. Uh, there's positive ne- and negatives of both. Well, coming back to your most recent record, there's a song of yours on it called Damn Country Music, which Tim McGraw previously recorded and made the title track to one of his albums. The hum of wheels on the blacktop The strum of strings on a flat top It's a neon fever for a small town Dreamer tells you everything country music like many of the songs on your record that's one with depth and substance i recently read an interview where you described the album as a grown-up woman record what do you mean by that i think when when i say grown-up record it's like i wanted to deal with topics of people my age um and hopefully it resonates for people younger and older but let's like launch from like say mama drink like that's a mama that's a 20 something to 40 something type you know working mom um she's dealing with a lot and then going into songs like i should probably go now where it's kind of this lonesome you know you know almost cheating song where you're like do I still have it you know um uh, what's next you know i don't know just a lot of topics that I feel like I was even drawing from a lot of mom friends that I have and then you know songs like damn country music and how I'm going out really reflect kind of the trials and tribulations of being a songwriter and chasing a dream and uh kind of the ups and downs it's just I hope to kind of use a lot of different color in the record to have a lot of different kind of emotions so, yeah, yeah it yeah. does feel like grown up, you know, it's not, um, it's definitely not for, you know, the faint of heart. It's a whiskey <laughs> drinking, beer drinking, sit back, midnight smoke yeah. <laughs> kind of barroom record. That's what I wanted. That's what I was going for. Cause those right. are the kind of records I grew up listening to. Well, Nashville is, you know, such a co-writing town and you, you talked about how, in the early days, um, you know, you were writing a lot of 100% songs. You were writing by yourself a good bit. Um, and there's two songs on the album that were written solo. Um, I Should Probably Go Now, which you just mentioned, and Lonely Out of Me, which really hits that sweet spot between Nashville and, and Memphis that you were, were talking about. So pour me another glass, baby. Can't 
is writing alone a practice that you've kind of consistently maintained over the years? Or um, was that something that you kind of revisited um, as you were putting together this record that was, you know, a little more personal for you? Yes, it was absolutely a uh, part of my songwriting that I had abandoned. I mean, I'm so booked up. My calendar's booked to write, you know, every day. So there's just not time to write by myself. And, you know, to really finish a song by myself uh, takes a lot of, you know, sit down discipline that I just don't have. I don't have the time to do it and the wherewithal. So, um, it was, it was brand new. It was like, Oh my gosh, can I still do it? Hmm. And I kind of came to a crossroad with, with, I should probably go now, which was probably the hardest song to write on the record because I wanted the listener to not know what really happens in the story. I wanted it to unfold and almost have a question mark at the end like did she go home with him did she not did she grab her keys and get the hell out of there you know Hmm. um and i I was very determined for that to happen and without having a co-writer i'm so used to ping-ponging back and forth with another writer it was tough and there trust me i've lived with a songwriter i could have easily given in and you know said please help me and (laughs) that did happen on some of the other songs but i wanted to have at least a shot at it. Um, Lonely Out of Me was a little easier. That came out on piano one morning, the majority of the melody and most of the lyric. And then it was just like putting finishing touches on it. But um, it, it, I'm very proud of those songs and I'm, I'm glad I was able to, that I still got it, you know, that I can still do that. <laughs> right. Very yep. cool. Well, the new album is fantastic. Congratulations uh, on Thank a great you. body of songs and uh, really appreciate you taking some time with us uh, today during, during our uh, nationwide lockdown <laughs> to uh, just give you, give some yes. thoughts on your, your process and, and your career. It's been a lot of fun. Well, it's so nice to talk about something other than the coronavirus or homeschooling. <laughs> so thank you for kidnapping me and locking me in a room so I could talk about that. I really appreciate Our it. Our pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you. So please take a moment now to subscribe to Songcraft in your podcast app of choice and sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow to find out how you can help support us. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash songcraftshow. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. Dirty Braves cap on the couch All kegs hanging from the wall